Turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus 16. We're going to look at the first 15 verses, the first half of this chapter. Uh, But so that we can see the context, we'll start kind of at the end of Exodus 15 at verse 22, and then we'll read chapter 16. This is, you will recall, after Israel had made it through the Red Sea. On the shore of the sea, they sang a song of thanksgiving, confessing the Lord as the one who exercised triumph over their enemies. And then in verse 22, we read, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter, and therefore it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Then the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the pe- for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. 
This is what the Lord commanded. Gather of it each one of you as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and who gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each, and when all the, children, all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded, tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, when it is, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain, each of you, in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. And the people of Israel ate the manna forty years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is the tenth part of an ephah. Amen. Congregation of God beloved in Christ. It can be difficult for us to be sympathetic toward the people of Israel. Time and again... In the accounts that we read in the first five books of the Bible, we see their foolishness and their sin and their rebellion. And we shake our heads with disgust. I mean, how could they be so foolish? How could their memories be so short? How is it it that time and again they could see the power of the Lord, the grace of the Lord, the goodness of the Lord, and yet still doubt Him, still grumble against Him, still complain as though He was unfaithful? Now, there's a place... For such scorn. Because rebellion is wrong. And it is worthy of scorn. Considered objectively, the complaints that Israel spoke so often in the wilderness ought to be mocked and greeted with scorn. However, we must not scorn their sin as though we were better. In fact, the more that we study Israel and its sins, the more we find that their sins and rebellions did have a reason. There was 
it was not utterly without cause. And it's often reflected in our lives. So we should scorn Israel's sin. We should condemn it because sin is worthy of condemnation. But we should do so with humility, recognizing that we are just as prone to sin, to rebellion, to grumbling. And so with the passage before us today, Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, thereby complaining against God Himself. It's sinful. It's shameful. It's condemnable a hundred percent. But it's also a sin which is not far from us, which many of us have committed. And therefore we need to humbly see how God addresses this sin of His people. And as we do, we find that God answers gently, graciously, the grumbling of his immature children. So that's our theme this morning. God answers the grumbling of his immature children. First of all, by receiving himself Israel's faithless complaint. That's the first point. He receives Israel's faithless complaint. Remember, What's happened here? It's been about a month since they came out of Egypt. When they crossed the Red Sea, they came into the wilderness of Shur. It wasn't too long in that wilderness before they lacked water. They complained to Moses because the first water they came to was bitter. It couldn't be drank. So they complained to Moses. God showed him a way to make that bitter water sweet. Wonderful. They went on from there. They came to Elam, a place with Beautiful springs of water and shade trees. They stayed there, enjoyed some R&R, but then they needed to keep going. God led them from there into the wilderness of sin. And there, there we find ourselves in our text. It's been a month, which means all of the provision that they brought that was ready to eat, it's gone. And maybe we... We wonder, wait a minute, they had livestock. Surely if they had livestock, they had plenty to eat. But remember, they're following this pillar of fire and of cloud. And evidently, God wasn't allowing them to stop long enough to butcher their livestock, to prepare food for their grumbling stomachs. And so they start complaining. Not just one or two of them here and there, but the whole congregation Young and old, men and women, all are muttering and grumbling and expressing their dissatisfaction against, notice, Moses and Aaron, their leaders. Listen to their complaint in verse 3. Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. Now that's quite a wish. It reveals their expectation that they're going to die anyway. And if we were going to die anyway... We could have avoided all the effort of coming all this way, of packing up and carrying all our stuff. I mean, at least in Egypt, we had pots filled with meat. At least in Egypt, well, I mean, yeah, we had to work like slaves because we were, but at least we could rest at night. At least we had had soft beds. These folks believed they were better off as slaves than as free men of the Lord. They actually accuse Moses and Aaron of intentionally planning their, sal- their starvation. Now, don't fail to notice how hypocritical their complaint is. 
They're giving Moses and Aaron the credit for delivering them from Egypt. As though Moses is the one who decided to to leave Egypt. As though it was his idea to abandon all they had ever known and go to this new place. But they don't give him credit for the strength that it took to get out of Egypt. They don't give him credit for all of the plagues that were poured out upon the land, destroying that mighty nation. They don't give him credit for opening the sea by his own might or for destroying the mighty army of Pharaoh. They don't give him credit for that because if they did, they wouldn't dare to grumble against him. And meanwhile, they ignore God, who's the one whose power did deliver them. Because they had seen his power. They didn't dare grumble against him. Brothers and sisters, this sin Israel was committing is typical of the attitudes of sinful men and women who are uncomfortable. We don't like discomfort. Whether hunger, such as Israel was experiencing, or persecution, or pain, or deprivation of some sort, we don't like hardship. We don't like not knowing what our future might hold. And when we're faced with that discomfort, we tend to become short-sighted. We fail to remember all of the good things that God has done for us. We fail to remember the rich promises that God has extended. We loudly demand that someone fix this situation, and until they do, well, we're going to complain that they're plotting our downfall. And yet even in our discomfort, even in our dissatisfaction, seldom are we bold enough to actually complain against God. It's safer to complain against men. Men who, like us, are relatively weak and impotent. Men who, like us, are limited. We feel a little safer complaining against them. If I complain against that minister, well, he'll eventually leave. If I complain against that elder, well, what's he going to do about it? Beloved, we can relate to old Israel. When we are persecuted for our beliefs or forced to do without because of our conviction, few of us will actually openly complain against God. But it's not uncommon to hear complaints against that unreasonable minister, those inflexible elders. We lay on them the obligations that God has laid on us. Examples abound. Man sees all the toys and the goodies that his neighbor is able to afford, and coveting them, he complains about the fact that Well, you know, the deacons expect us to tithe. We'll get a letter asking if everything's okay if we don't. Or maybe he moans and complains about the the price of Christian school tuition. Acting as though it's their fault that he can't have a new boat. A young lady longs to fit in with her peers in the latest fashions. So she complains against her backward parents who won't let her wear those fashions because of modesty concerns. A young man sees those beautiful girls in the neighborhood or at work. He mutters and grumbles about the 
inflexible parents that continually urge him not to date outside the church, outside the faith. Rather than looking to God whom they serve, rather than recognizing that they're simply repeating what God has given them to say and and doing what God has called them to do, we moan and we complain against the leaders whom God has set over us as though it was their fault, as though it was their decision. Because they're a little safer. Now the Lord would have been just to respond harshly here because He recognizes they're not really complaining against Moses and Aaron. He's the one who receives the complaints because He sees they're actually complaining against Him. He's the one whose lead they've been following. He's the one who has set their course. Everything they have has been given by Him and everything they lack has been withheld by Him. So God recognizes, God acknowledges to Moses, they're complaining against me. And he would have been just to respond with harsh punishment. After all, they were showing distrust in his power to provide. They were claiming he had erred in setting these men over him. They were acting as though he either couldn't or wouldn't provide what they needed. But our God is merciful. And so his first response to their complaint is to relate to them his faithful promises. He says to Moses in verse 4, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. Israel wants food, and so God will cause that food to rain down from the sky. He won't give it to them in a natural way so that it will be clear to them, Moses didn't do this. Aaron didn't do this, and you certainly didn't do this. It came from God. He's the one you were really grumbling against, and he's the one who's going to provide for you. They need to see that in a way that they could not doubt, that it's God who meets their needs. Now pause there and notice the contrast between God our King and the King of Egypt, whom they had just left. When the king of Egypt perceived Israel to be grumbling against him because Moses and Aaron had come and demanded that they be released to go worship God, what did he do? Did he show mercy? Did he show gentleness? No. He commanded them to get back to work, and furthermore, since it's clear that you don't have enough work to keep you busy, I'm going to make that work harder, but I'm going to demand the same result. Harsh. That's how men respond. Men are not gentle, men are not kind, men are not understanding. But now look at God, hearing their complaints, even though he recognizes they're unjust. Even though he sees these men are so short-sighted. Nonetheless, not only does he meet their needs, but he does so in a way that is amazing, that will leave them Speechless. How foolish to complain about leaving a tyrant to serve a God who is so gracious. And don't overlook the fact of how he would provide for them. The people would find their provision anew every day. 
Each morning they would wake up with empty pots and they would go out and gather as much as they needed for that day. The next morning they would wake up with empty pots and they would go out and find that food again. Now for an agricultural people, that would take some getting used to. They were accustomed to harvesting absolutely as much as the season allowed and storing it up and then using it carefully to make sure that it would last until the next harvest season. But you see, that method allowed them to rely at least to some degree on themselves. They had to labor hard to gather as much as they could. They had to make sure that they portioned it out in such a way as to make it last. They could convince themselves that they had something to do with making sure that their bellies were full. But God says, no. As long as you're out here in the wilderness, you're going to rely on me anew every single day. Every day, you're going to have to wake up trusting me. Every day, you're going to have to look to my food for your daily bread, literally. But not that he would put it right in their mouths. They would still have to go out and gather it. God still requires work of his people. Even when he provides it day by day, we have to go out and gather what he gives. Because he created man to work. He created man to use the strength he's been given to gather the provision sent. And so he will test them. Verse 4. And the people shall go out and gather a day's provision, portion every day and that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Now, we see exactly how he tests them in verse 5 and in the latter half of the chapter. They're to gather only so much as they need for that day. That requires them to trust God's going to provide what you need tomorrow and the next day and the next day. You can't store it up. You can't hoard it because you don't trust God. That's going to be hard for them. But especially when God changes the rules on the sixth day. On the sixth day, you need to gather twice as much. God's going to provide twice as much so that you don't have to work on the Sabbath day, so that you can rest and worship and be refreshed. Now, please understand, as I said before, this was not easy for Israel. It wasn't what they were accustomed to, number one. But beyond that, the king they had served in Egypt was not trustworthy. It was Pharaoh's regular practice to change the rules midstream. And so what his hand extended one day, it might withdraw the next. And so having served for 420 years, this king who could not, 430, this king that could not be trusted, they were accustomed to saving up as much as they could. Saving up for a rainy day, relying on themselves to make sure that if this capricious king turned against them yet again, they'd be able to make it. That's how it is when you live in slavery. Whether slavery to Pharaoh or slavery to sin, the rules are always changing. There's no one you can trust. People are always undercutting you. People are always undermining your abilities. But God says you're not serving that kind of a king anymore. You're serving me. God says the same thing to his people today. That faithful promise to provide day by day he has given also to us. Not with bread that rains down from the sky, 
But with food and clothing and work and everything else that we need, given daily according to the needs of the day, given faithfully according to the faithfulness of our God Himself, Jesus reminds us in Matthew chapter 6 that we need not worry about how we will be clothed or how we will be fed or what tomorrow holds. We need not worry or fear because the Lord your God knows that you need it. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. In other words, keep the first things first. Focus on God. Focus on doing what He commands you and know that He will give you what you need day by day. You see, it matters to God how we receive His provision. By the way we receive what He gives, we reveal either our faith or our unbelief. Will you trust Him enough to receive what He sends even when it leaves you feeling vulnerable? Will you trust Him enough to keep using your gifts even though the market is on a downturn? Will you trust Him enough to continue tithing and giving to Him as a demonstration of your faith even though your retirement fund has taken a hit? Will you trust Him enough to apologize to your, for, for your sin to that co-worker who might might? Use it to take advantage of you. Will you trust Him enough to seek reconciliation with that family member who's burned you in the past? Will you trust Him to provide or will you trust you? That's what God was commanding Israel to decide. Some of them failed the test, didn't they? woke up in the morning and their tent was absolutely putrid because they insisted, I'm going to save up extra because I'm not sure I can trust God to provide. And others, not having learned from that, they woke up on the Sabbath day and they went out with hungry bellies and they found nothing, nothing to eat. And they were in the wilderness. It wasn't like they could go and pick some... Wild growing, no, there was nothing wild growing. And in that day of fasting, they had to learn that God must be trusted. Now, verses 4 and 5, the Lord reveals to Moses his promise to provide. But then in verses 6 through 10, he sends Moses and Aaron to reveal all this to Israel. And he does so in a way that rebukes Israel's rebellious grumbling. That's our third point. Although he provides graciously, he does rebuke his people for their grumbling. First, they tell Israel their hunger will be relieved, but notice how they reveal that. Verse 6, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. Notice how he says that. In the evening and then in the morning. Doesn't that sound familiar? Isn't that a subtle echo of the creation week. There was evening, there was morning the first day. There was evening, there was morning the second day. He's reminding them in this pattern that they knew so well. 
It is your creator against whom you grumble. It is your creator who will provide for you what you need in the evening and whose glory you will see in the morning. Thus they are to learn that their complaint was poorly aimed. They grumbled at Moses and Aaron, but it was God who would answer their grumbling. Moses wants them to see clearly. He and Aaron never had the power to give them food or water. They didn't even have the power to follow a map. They just went where God led them and did what God commanded. Nevertheless, God heard their complaint against Moses and Aaron. But rather than strike them down, rather than punish them, He will provide. He will provide in a way that shows that He is the one they have to trust. He will provide in a way that shows that He is sovereign over all the creation. See, this is not a God to be grumbled against. He is the Almighty. He is the Creator. Moses and Aaron, they're just servants. And so in verse 8, He rebukes the people. Verse 8 When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against Him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us but against the Lord. Moses is saying, don't take my word for it. Watch and see what happens. Open your eyes and bear witness to the power of God to provide for you. You see, Israel had to learn that they have offensively complained. Not merely against men who might exact retribution, no, but against God who sent these men. And having learned, they need to repent of their grumbling. Moses and Aaron call the people to draw near to the Lord. Now the people are told to look on that pillar of cloud and fire and see the glory of the Lord. Now how he revealed his glory, we're not told. Perhaps the pillar glowed with an unimaginable light. Perhaps there was thunder and lightning. We're not told. But one way or another, looking on the cloud, they did perceive the glory of the Lord. And why? To humble them. To rebuke them for their grumbling. They thought it safe. Notice that. They thought it safe to grumble against Moses and Aaron. But God says, no, I know your heart. I know you're not really grumbling against these men. I know that you know that I'm the one calling the shots. And it's against me that you grumble. There's a lesson there for us, isn't there? We too find ourselves in situations that are difficult. As we follow the men whom God sets over us, we encounter hardship, persecution from unbelievers, commands that are difficult for us to to understand, trials and struggles that we don't enjoy. We can't see the purpose of bearing those crosses and so we want to complain. But we don't want to complain against God. That's dangerous. We'll complain against these parents. We'll complain against these elders. We'll complain against these governmental leaders. Because that's safer and God says it is not. I am your king and you must not grumble against me. I have ordained the situation in which you live, the provisions which you receive, the work that you're called to do, the situations that surround you. I have ordained them. Do not grumble against your glorious God. But seek me, serve me, trust me. 
And to emphasize that, the last thing he shows us here is his incomparable provision. It's our last point. He reveals his incomparable provision. First he says, verse 12, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. He's assuring his people of his provision. Uniquely, in verse 3, in verse 3, they complain that when they were back in Egypt, at least they were full. And they use a rather obscure word. It's not used very often. And now God uses that same word to describe what He's going to cause. You will be filled. You will be stuffed. And then... Then you will know that I am God. Then you will know that I am the provider. Verses 13 and 14 show he did exactly as he promised. In the evening, he covered the camp with quails, tasty little birds that tend to migrate in flocks. Well, this was an unimaginably large flock. And so exhausted were they when when they landed in the camp that even their little ones could go out and get their dinner. And then come morning, bread of a sort never before seen by men, bread that came from heaven. While they slept, so unusual, so incomparable was this bread that they looked at it and they looked at one another and they went, Manhu, which is Hebrew for what is that? And so they called it manna, Manhu. But Moses answered them, It is the bread that the Lord has given us to eat. Bread that he promised, which came in a way that could leave no doubt. God alone is the one who did this. Now, beloved, do not miss the message of that provision. Because God was doing far more than filling their bellies. He was showing them that their very lives depended on him. Very soon, not as soon as they would have hoped because of their rebellion, but soon enough, they would enter into Canaan, the promised land, a place that was filled with good provision for which they would work, which they would be able to store up, and they would be tempted again to trust in them. And when things went badly, when there was a drought, when enemies raided, they would be tempted to blame their leaders. But they needed to learn now. It wasn't their leaders who provided. It wasn't their leaders who were sovereign. It was God. A short time after, Moses would speak to them. Deuteronomy 8 And say, God humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, so that, so that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. It is God who provides. It is God whom you must follow. It is God whom you must trust. It is God whose promises will sustain you from day to day, year to year, unto eternity. It's not about bread. It's about God. Which is why Jesus himself pointed to this instance. The people had been fed from him by bread. He had multiplied their bread in the wilderness and so they followed him back to Capernaum. Why? Because they wanted more bread. But he said, no, that's not what you really need. He says in 
John 6. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. You see, God was preparing Israel to trust in Him so completely that they would rely on Him not just for the the bread that filled their bellies, but for the bread that would lead them to eternal life. He was pointing them to Christ. He was showing them that the only way they could live forever is by trusting in Him. Moses couldn't do it. Aaron couldn't do it. They themselves could not extend their lives eternally. There is no vegan diet that will do it. There is no government program that will accomplish it. But only the bread of life, which we receive by trusting in Christ. Jesus said in John 6, As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like your, the bread your fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Ultimately, it was to Jesus that the man appointed. And it is in Jesus that we must trust. Young people understand. God will put hardships in your life. He will cause you to hunger. Maybe it'll be through unemployment and a rapidly dwindling bank account. Maybe it will be a difficult situation that you can't grasp the significance of. You can't understand how anything good could possibly come of this. Or a hard situation where you know what God says to do, but it's the last thing you want to do and it's what your friends all say you shouldn't. Whatever that situation, whatever that hunger, God is doing two things. He is reminding you, it's not the leaders over you, against whom you're tempted to grumble, who brought this about or who are able to fix it. It is God. He wants you to learn in that situation to trust in Him. He's the one who can rain down bread from heaven. He's the one who can fix that situation, provide for that need, bring you out of that dark pit. And as you are drawn out of that pit by trusting in Him, He's showing you the bread you really need is the bread of life, is Christ, is trusting in Him, not just for now, not just for this situation, but for all eternity. So don't complain in the midst of that struggle. Don't grumble against your leaders, against those whom God has set set over you or even against the situation itself, instead fall to your knees and acknowledge that you need what God alone can provide for here and now and also for eternity. And brothers and sisters, not only will He provide the food that you need, not only will He get you out of that dark pit, but He will strengthen your faith in Christ and draw you closer to the eternal glory for which He has made you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you that you love us so much.
that you even orchestrate in our lives dark days and difficulties that will force us to trust in Christ. Open our eyes to see what you are doing. Strengthen our hearts that we might trust in your Son and draw us closer and closer to you. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, in response, let's stand and sing together from Trinity 474. 474, if thou but suffer God to guide thee, we'll sing all the stanzas. Thank you.